Hey, good morning. Good morning. Welcome home. Just doing a little homework up here. Um, so glad you're here. It's time for Children's Church. Um, ski daddle. Have a great time. God bless you. We're doing the gospel upstairs. We're doing the gospel down here. It's like a gospel sandwich. Amen. <laughs> All right. Uh, so glad you're here. I just got back from working in Scottsdale last night. And uh, unfortunately, I left something in my hotel room. My hair! <laughs> I know it's weird. I know. Because I'm saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was saying good morning to you. And you know when people's eyes shift from your eyes to the top of your head? And then they look like they've been sucking on a lemon. Good to see you. <laughs> They're praying for me now. It's okay. It's okay. Um, good, good. Um, what I'm going to do, uh, I know we're kind of thin, metaphorically speaking, this morning. But for those of you who are here and not trying to uh, travel, uh, what we have, this is the college lunch sign-up list. It's so exciting. You know why? Because you only have college lunch when the college students coming back. Oh, my heart is just beating quickly. Um, we are going to have our college service on, what is it? The, uh, it's not the 9th, the 9th of September. And that's all because of the funky way that school starts. And then we have Labor Day, which is the mass exodus. So we're going to do the, the pig roast and the service on the campus on the 9th. And then starting the 16th, we're going to feed the college students every Sunday they're here. So pass it around, sign up. Um, We'll take care of like plates and cups and all that good stuff and and drinks. And you just bring the goodness. And we're so grateful that you do this. And we just had a collection. Look, you know, you guys give. And and it's not only to keep... um, the, the, the church going and the ministries going. You're giving to bless people's lives and you do it so beautifully. Uh, this week, just this week alone, and I don't, I don't know, well, there are teams of people who do this. I don't even know all the beautiful things you've done, but I know that you sent a young husband uh, back to the West Coast uh, who couldn't afford to get there for his wife's surgery. And he's there now because you sent him. Um, and I know a family that was having some transportation problems and you finished buying their car. And that's great. That's wonderful. And it's all meant because Jesus has given us so much that if we gave everything, if we gave everything for his glory and people's blessing, it, it, we wouldn't even start to celebrate how much he's given us. And, and so we, and he keeps blessing us more so that we can be a blessing. I'm just so grateful to you. Okay. You just got like parts of two messages, but quick recap of last week, because we got to know where we're coming from before we know where we're going. Jesus is about to come back. We're in Revelation 14. We have been for a month, but there's a lot there. So he's about to come back, and most people aren't anywhere near ready for it. Not anywhere near ready. So he sends three angels on a flyover to shout the gospel. Just preach the everlasting gospel to everyone, to everyone who has thus far rejected or ignored him, 
right? And these are generally two groups that we looked at. Those who are rebellious and have broken all the rules and therefore say, I don't need a savior, right? I'm going to break all the rules. And those who are religious and say, I don't need a savior because I'm good at keeping all the rules. You see, those are two equal and opposite ways of rejecting Jesus Christ. And we could fall into either one of them. But he's preaching the gospel to all of them, to every person of every color, of every race, of every country, in their own language, including the Bush people in Africa, the very same people that some of us question and ask about falsely concerned. I say falsely because if we really cared that much, we'd be there preaching the gospel to them. And this means two things. One is if you are the greatest sinner, if you are the Michael Phelps of sinning, Jesus in his love and grace and mercy still wants you on his relay team. He still wants you because in him, you can become all that he has created you to be. Not by working, not by not by white-knuckling your behavior, but by submitting to his love, coming to the cross, coming to the gospel, receiving him fully. That's what we're talking about. It also means, because this is a worldwide call of the gospel to every race, every creed, every color, every everything, right? That that includes some of the people that you may be prejudiced against. And we have to, in our heart of hearts, realize that the bride of Christ is a multiracial marriage. And that includes like every, so, so all these walls that we built up, right? Right, they come crashing down. In Christ, all are one. So this also means that if you have been prejudiced against because you're an outcast, because you're a reject, because you don't look this way or act that way or dress this way or interested in this, that Jesus wants you to, that we can all come to Jesus, right? He became the outcast. He became the reject. So you could be accepted by the only person who ultimately matters, and that's God. And when we really get that we're accepted by God, I mean, not just like, okay, come here, but, but his prized possession, right? In Christ, he sees us as his treasure. If we really get that, then we stop all that dysfunctional nonsense that we do, trying to earn the approval and acceptance and love and applause of everybody else. That's freedom. That's freedom. And that's what he offers. Okay, um, one more thing. He warns. We, we, we realized that when our life is going full speed ahead in a big wheel off the cliff of the Black Canyon, right? Sometimes he will yell at us. Sometimes he will warn us loudly and say, I'm going to spank you till your butt falls off. Sometimes he will do that. And why? Why do we say that? Because you only warn someone. You, I'm trying to make a point here. You only warn someone if you don't want them to go down in flames. Amen? Amen. So he does that. And if you want to fill in the blanks, go to the website, gunnisonbethany.com, listen to the podcast. Okay. Last week, was the, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing in this book. We still have like seven plus chapters to go, right? And this is the last time you'll see people repenting. This is the last time in this book that you're going to see people Turn to Jesus Christ. Why? Because he won't take them? No. Here's what we see. 
Because when we're exposed to the gospel, when we hear the gospel, whether it's from an angel flyover or right here, it does one of two things. Scripture tells us again and again. It either softens our heart to receive Christ or it hardens our heart to reject him and the gospel. And sometimes here's what rejection looks like. I'm going to leave that on the table. There's a time in my life when that fits better than it fits now. And that's when I'll get real with Christ. My friends, that's rejection. Because that time for many people never comes. Why? Because when you and I push the gospel, push Jesus Christ, push ultimately the Holy Spirit away, our heart gets good at it. The Bible says our hearts get hard to where we don't hear deeply anymore. Okay, so that's, that's the danger. And that's what I'm praying against. If your heart has grown hard, if you've heard this and you're going, he's going to preach the gospel again. Yeah, every single time. Every single time in every scripture. That's what we do. We pray, preach Christ and him crucified. Okay, if you found it easy to say, eh, not for me, I pray that you would change that. I pray that the Holy Spirit right now would soften your hearts, not because of my words, but because of his great love, his great presence, the truth, that it would press upon you and it would soften your heart so that you would say yes to Jesus, yes to life, yes to freedom, yes to Yes, the salvation. That's what I pray. Okay, we will finish chapter 14 today. You're not going home until we turn the page. Okay, um, you ready? Let's go. Uh, I don't know what you're waiting for. We're going to pick it up in verse 12. Here we go. Apostle John is writing, Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and, and their faith in Jesus. Now, the commandments of God are faith in Jesus, are life in Jesus, okay? It's not just do all the stuff, oh, and, and Jesus is Lord. No, it's, it's being so drenched in the gospel, being so empowered and indwelt by the Holy Spirit that we're, our life is in Christ. We're going to look at that, okay? We looked at this back in... Revelation 13, chapter 13, verse 10. The endurance of the saints. This is not a Usain Bolt event, okay? Life with Jesus Christ, following Jesus Christ is not a sprint. It is an ultra marathon. You got to hang on. We're not gonna preach the message again, even though in a couple of minutes it'll feel like that. But I'm gonna leave it at this, saying your ultimate safe arrival and your destination is secured. It is secured, but the ride is going to get bumpy. So strap yourself in and resolve that you are going to stay until the end. You're not moving. You're not leaving the stadium when the Broncos are down 10 points with two minutes left. If you remember the illustration, you're sticking, you're staying because that day when Jesus comes back and makes it all right, is coming. He's coming. He'll make it right, and you can bank on it, especially when things look like he never will and never can. 
He is coming. So live ready, love ready, get ready. He's coming. Don't leave. Don't leave. Don't give up. This is for those who think there's no way he can untangle this mess. I'm tired of waiting. Wait. We're going to see. We're going to see it. Okay. Verse 13. Here we go. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit right there. That they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Now, this is weird. So what's he talking about? It's a good thing to die? It's a good thing to die? Who wrote this? Dr. Kevorkian? No. The Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit said this, that it's blessed to die. It's a good thing. We don't really think so, right? I mean, as a society, we, we don't really think so. Whenever anybody dies young, what are we talking about? Burying them in satin. Okay, that was a country music joke. You didn't get it. It's, that's evidence that country music is of the fall, I think. What do we talk about? We talk about how, how ashamed it is and all the things they missed out on. And right? Because we would do absolutely anything. We, we as a society would do absolutely anything to prolong this existence. Now, I'm not saying that in and of itself is a bad thing, but it points to that which we believe. That when we let go of this one, Either there's nothing or we really don't know, right? We would buy anything, do anything, exercise anything, eat or not eat anything, if it would guarantee that we would prolong our existence on this earth as we are, even if it means we have to wear diapers and eat oatmeal and jello for every meal and watch daytime television and drool and not recognize our family. That's, we don't care. We do it. We would prolong this life. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That medicine or prolonging life. It's, but the most feared words that any of us can hear, right? You know what they are? You have cancer. You're going to die. Really? The Spirit says blessed. How could, they, how could it be blessed to die in the Lord? We that shouldn't be the case that we that we fear death so much if we really understand the beauty and the depth of the gospel. If we really, now think about it. What the Bible says over and over and over is that death has been conquered. That, the, you know, there's this expression that young cool people whose hair is like this have YOLO, right? You only live once. That's a lie. That's a lie. You only live twice. And the second one's the important one. And if everything that we do here is not in preparation and celebration and and extending that eternal life to right now, then you're not living. You're, you're, You're not living. I hear people justify sin all the time mainly between the ages of 15 and 25, when I just want to get all that life has to offer. No, you don't. 
You want to get all that sin has to offer. Because you are convinced that that's life and that's joy. And how's that working for you? Not, not so good. I've been on both sides of that equation. That's not life. That's not freedom and that's not Christ. Okay. Here's the thing. We get this, we get this message from God that is completely different than what we live out and experience, right? And I would say that you and I, and you say, this guy has probably never experienced death. Yeah, I lost my dad. He died when he was 44. I've already outlived him. Lost a brother and a sister. I, I mean, I, I know, I know death. But our fear of our own personal death and how much we do fear that is probably in direct proportion to how much of the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ we've yet to realize and receive because it is beautiful. That's what led Paul in Philippians 1.21 to write this for me. Read it to me. For me to... Now, these are small words. We didn't put the pictures up there, but you can do this. For me to, to live is Christ, to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To gain what? Christ. Right. Some of you say in heaven. Well, no, it's Jesus. Because wherever he is, is where heaven is, right? We, we said that. You realize that like eternal reward can become an idol. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? And we want to be clapped for in eternity more than we want to be in the presence of Jesus. That's like subtly how, how Satan kind of rips our hearts apart. To gain Christ, the reason we're on this earth, the purpose is I'm looking for my purpose. Okay, the reason that you and I are here is that every breath might be in Jesus' love, for Jesus' glory, about Jesus' praise. And then when we do not have another breath, when we do not have another minute for that to be true, guess what? You get it all, right? You get it all. For if living is Christ, then dying is hitting the jackpot. You leave me alone, I'm just going to live for Christ. You kill me, I get him completely and forevermore. You are bulletproof as a believer. If you really belong to Jesus, your life is a life of ever-increasing life, ever-increasing faith from glory to glory to glory to glory. That's what Scripture says. For me to live is Christ and to die is to get everything of him. To get all of him forever. Death, because of what Christ has done, is no longer a curse. It is the doorway to our greatest blessing. Now, I don't want you guys playing with sharp objects or doing anything. That's you playing God. You don't do that. But when that comes, when that comes, I pray that you and I would say, bring your worst. I'm going to get it all because he got it all for me. 
That's when I enter into life without anything dragging me down. To live is Christ, to die is gain. But I'll never get to, but I'll never get to lose my virginity. I already have, I, I have. Just, no, I, you know, full disclosure, I've got two kids. Um, um, I'll never get to find the right one. I'll never get to get married. I'll never get to go to Europe. I'll never get to be retired. I'll never get to go to the Ben and Jerry's factory. I'll never get to, right? You're going to be in the presence of Jesus, right? You'll never get to what? As amazing and wonderful as those things are that we just talked about, the reason that they're amazing and wonderful is because they point to the ultimate amazing and wonderful thing, which is to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. The only reason food is delicious is because it points to the fact that he satisfies every desire. The only reason that places are worth seeing is because he is worth seeing. The only reason relationships are sweet is because relationship with him is the sweetest. Every good thing in your life points back to God. And here's the mistake that so many people make. I don't need Jesus. I don't need Jesus. Life is going just fine. Everything about your life that feeds you, that blesses you, is from him. You remove him, you remove all of the blessings he's blessed you with. And you got nothing. You have a life of ever-increasing death and darkness. Oh, we're living under the grace of God, all of us, whether we belong to him or not. Okay, enough of that. Enough of that. All of the stuff that we think we would miss pales in comparison to the thing it's supposed to point to. Enjoy life. How you doing? I'm loving life. It's great. Get this. You make those, this is what C.S. Lewis said in much smarter ways. You make that secondary stuff primary, you will lose that secondary stuff and God. You put God where he belongs, he throws it all in. Throws it all in. Because now I can enjoy those things. I can enjoy my family. I can enjoy his blessings for the thing that they are ultimately designed to do, which is point my attention and my my focus back to him, right? And in that, the enjoyment goes on steroids. Do you get it? Because it's filled with what it's supposed to be. Not looking for it to to deliver that which it can't and never will be able to. Okay, if you have gotten this backwards... There'll be a chance for you before you leave this morning. Get that straightened out. Okay, we're going back to verse 13. So we got a chapter to finish. I know, I know. Heard a voice from heaven. They will be blessed indeed, said the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. You see that? Rest right here in the bottom corner. It's a beautiful word. This is something I know something about. Some of you are going to ride your bikes. You're going to run. I know about rest. You're talking to somebody who knows what he's talking about. I'm not talking about 
I'm not talking about taking naps when you shouldn't. Um, but our society gets this. TGIF, right? Ain't nobody saying TGI Monday morning. Am I right? Think about Friday at five if you have a traditional hours for your job, right? Everybody's different. Even mean people are a little nice, right? TGI, oh, you got the weekend stretching out. You got a weekend stretch. Okay, go back. Go back. Maybe you were young once. Some of you, I doubt it, but go with me. Do you remember if you rode the bus? Stepping off that bus the afternoon of the last day of school before summer break. Was there ever a feeling of freedom like that? Huh? Was there ever a You have the summer. This is before you're old enough to hold down a summer job. Do you have the summer stretching out before you? Was there ever a feeling like that? You bet there is. And it is ultimately better. The rest of God. The Sabbath beautiful rest of God. When it's all over. All the striving. All the working. All the worrying. All the anxiety. All the battling with sin. All the, all the regret. All the, it's all over. And you have an eternity stretching out before you where he rules and he reigns and you're resting in him. You know, resting has very little to do with what your body is doing. It has everything to do with what your heart is doing. You can rest at work. You can rest when you're getting your RPMs and all the things you like to get when you get the runner's high that doesn't really exist. We covered that, right? It doesn't matter. Physical exertion, mental exertion, your heart can be at rest. In the same way, you can be laying in your bed, like I know many of you do. And you have the weight of the world. Your body is at rest, but your heart is never resting. And what we're saying, what the scripture is pointing to here, is that in eternity, you will have that sweet Sabbath rest of God. Eternity stretching out before you. Here's the coolest part. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait until you flatline here to experience that there. Because we can begin in Christ to experience that ultimate Sabbath, beautiful rest of God in our hearts right here, right now, and extend it. It just goes and then it crescendos in eternity. Don't wait. It's promised to you now. It's promised to you now. That's right. Some of you look like you really need it. Some of you look like you need it. You have dark circles, not under your eyes, but under your soul. Right? You think I'm making this up? I didn't make this up. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Here it is. Look at it. Come to me. Who's he talking to? He's talking to me, right? He's talking to you. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, say it with me, rest. Rest. Even in the midst of your schedule, 
even in the midst of the demands that you put on yourself, that others put on you, in the midst of expectation, in the midst of you feeling like you will never measure up, in the midst of all of that, deep, deep rest that Tempur-Pedic and the sleep number will never give you. If you are overburdened and exhausted, if you don't know if you can go on, if you're tired and worn out, come to me. I will give you rest. If you need that, there'll be an opportunity for you to do that before you split this morning. Okay, come to Jesus. The message is the same. Hmm, that's strange. Come to Jesus. If, if your heart is hard, come to Jesus. If you need to um, repent, come to Jesus. If you need rest, come to Jesus. If living is not Christ, dying is not gain, come to Jesus. It's time for the harvest, and this is serious and amazing. Here we go. The harvest, verse 14, And then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man. Who are we talking about here? Jesus. Say it with conviction. You're in church. Who are we talking about here? Jesus. Yes. With a golden crown on his head. Yes, he deserves it. Thorns are so last season. And a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. Now, the angel's not ordering Jesus around. He's like cheering him on. Do it, man. Do it. It has come. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now, there are many Christians, many biblical scholars who see this differently. I believe with with some that, that this is the harvest of the grain this is the harvest of the believers, right? That, that God is, this is a time, harvest is a time of great joy, right? If you're a farmer, anybody a farmer? Have families farmers? Okay, then you know that the days of harvest are the days of payoff. This is what it's all about. It's a day of rejoicing. All the planting of the seeds, which Jesus has done in people's hearts, all the watering with his tears, with his blood, with his word, with his presence, with his Holy Spirit, all of the growth that comes through him, all of the fruit and the grain has come to beautiful heads. It's all coming in. It's all coming in. This is what it was all about, right? This is a time of great rejoicing, the time of the harvest. And here it is. It's coming in. And you will be among them if you belong to him. And he wants you home. He wants you home. Now, the fruit that Jesus wants isn't the only thing that's been growing. The wheat harvest, the grain, is not the only thing that's been growing. So we have another reaping here. Verse 17, here we go. And another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came, there's a lot of angels here. Another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth. Now he's not talking about grain. He's talking about grapes, okay? Now, sometimes fruitfulness in the scriptures is is used to show good fruit. This is not good fruit. 
These grapes in this image are not good. The grapes are ripe. Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth. For its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. Okay. For the book and the movie title, Grapes of Wrath, here's where it came from. Battle Hymn of the Republic lyrics. Here's where it came from. You know the, you know the song? Mine eyes have seen the glory. Sing it. Of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed his faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. Everybody knows this. His truth is marching on. Okay, for everybody who knows the words, we sing that, right? But we never picture ourselves as the grapes on which his truth is marching on top of. Amen? We always picture he's like stomping on somebody else. This is not a good song if you're a grape. This is where not only the grapes of wrath, not only the battle hymn of the Republic, but the expression being squashed like a grape came from. Right? It's not good news if you're a grape. We either laugh about it or cry about it. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth, threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. The wine press was trodden, stomped on, outside the city. And the blood flowed from the wine press as high as a horse's bridle. How high is that? What do you say? Four or five feet, maybe? For 1,600 stadia. That's 200 miles. That's from here to Denver. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. Jesus is uh, making wine by crushing people. I, this is very unpopular. We, even believers, shrink away from that fact. Jesus, who is life, must destroy those who find life in anything other than him. Right? It's not something we like to think about because we think of ourselves as innocents rather than infidels. We don't realize that everyone who has ever been born is under and in, over the, under the lordship of Jesus. And until we submit to that, we're rebels. He's calling the rebels home. He's calling them home. And we don't want Jesus to do this. But we're kind of schizophrenic in that respect, Right? Because think about, Kelly, how much would you respect a, a cop who looked the other way if other cop, a cop who looked the other way when drug dealers are giving like free samples to middle schoolers? You get them hooked, right? We don't respect that cop, right? Biggest movies 
Biggest grossing movies. What are they right now? Bat. You don't like them? Oh, I think they're great. <laughs> Spider-Man, Batman. I kind of fantasize about superhero stuff. But think about it. We don't pay admission. We don't pay admission to go see a superhero who sees evil, who sees people bringing wreckage into people's lives and goes, eh. You don't buy that ticket. The reason we are so passionate about seeing these stories of superheroes crushing evil is because deep down, we want that. We need that. We don't want Jesus to do that, right? What would we think about the judge in the, the, the trial of this Aurora theater shooter freak show dude with the weird hair saying, you know, he seems really sorry. Let's let him go. He misses going to the movies. No. You know what happened when O.J. Simpson was let out? There were riots. We want justice. God puts that there. But we don't want justice from God, at least not for ourselves. So I just want us to do battle with the feelings that we have about wanting Jesus to be loving and merciful, but not wanting to be, him to be holy and just. We don't even agree with that, as we've just seen. How many... I want you to see that in this is incredible beauty and incredible power. The gospel and the hope and the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ. How many are now thinking about how awful it is that Jesus will have to do this, even though we understand why it's necessary? How many are thinking? And, and all the poor people who will have to go through it, Right? Okay, you can't even respond. You are. You're thinking that. I'm thinking that. And it's good that we are because it's there. It's in the scripture. That is part of it. That is part of it. What I want you to see is the beauty of how much Jesus loves people who hate him. Why? Because this is exactly what Jesus endured so that no one who trusts in him would ever have to go through it. He was thrown into, on the cross, the great winepress of the wrath of God, and he was stepped on and trodden outside the city on a hill called Golgotha, and his blood flowed from the winepress. And it's enough to cover you. And it is enough to cover me. Even in God's judgment, we see his love and mercy because he said, everything that I have to do, I have allowed to be done to me so that I can crush evil without crushing you 
And some people will say, yeah, nice. I'm going back to life. Really? Don't do it. Don't do it. There's a confusing thing whenever we talk about harvest. It's confusing in the scriptures because the scriptures are very clear that things don't always look like what they are. Wheat looks like weeds. Weeds look like wheat. Sheep look like goats. Goats look like sheep. Grain looks like grapes. And this, grapes look like right? Those who belong to Jesus and those who don't. If the sheep and the goats tell us anything, there are a bunch of people who thought they were sheep and they're goats, right? There are a bunch of people who feared they were goats and they're sheep. Wheat and grapes can often look the same. Which makes me think about my passion for watermelon. No, I am. When And Shree, she'll nod. When summertime comes around, I love watermelon. Good watermelon. You pick a lousy watermelon, it's a world of hurt. No, think about it, right? Because not only the cost, but the quantity. You buy a lousy apple, right? It's mealy. You throw it away. You buy a watermelon and it's bad. You got a week of eating. So at the beginning of the season, I'll weigh, I'll thump. And I'll figure out based on where they come from, whether it's Arizona or Texas or Alabama or Mexico, who, you know, Rocky Ford, we don't get that much here, but who is making the best watermelon? Because from the outside, they all look good. So do we. So do we. And just like there are good watermelons and bad watermelons in the same box, there are wheat and weeds. There are harvests for bringing to myself, bringing to himself Christ, right? And those that need to be trodden on and thrown out in the church. Paul wrote to the Ephesian elders, said, you know what? Start with your elders. Really? Yeah. All of us. How do we tell? How do we tell? Okay. You might be a grape if. Made a list. Now, grapes are the wine press, right? Think about it. You might be a grape if you define your faith more by your ability to keep the commandments of Jesus rather than by experiencing Jesus as you live in love relationship with him. You might be a grape if you do religious things to make up for your sins and areas of your life that you're ashamed of, rather than rejoicing that Jesus' loving sacrifice on the cross has you completely covered, has removed your sin and given you his righteousness. You might be a grape if you're often disappointed and bitter about the things that you don't have and that you feel you need and deserve rather than feeling that because you have Jesus, you have everything you could ever want or need. You might be a grape if a life free of all pain, suffering, and inconvenience is more attractive to you than following Jesus, regardless of where he may lead. You might be a grape 
if you pray for blessings that would allow you to keep your idols strong, making God assist you in cheating on him. You might be great if you need circumstances to go your way or people to treat you in a certain way in order to have joy rather than joy coming regardless of circumstances and people because of God's presence and approval of you through Jesus Christ. You might be a grape if you value and seek what is best for you most times rather than by what would bring Jesus the most glory and others the greatest blessing. You might be a grape if faith is a part of your life but only one of many components and you engage with God as often as you think necessary rather than, as Scripture says, abiding in Jesus, which is making him the home of your heart and mind 24-7 rather than someone that you visit occasionally. You might be a great if your identity and worth as a person is determined primarily by externals, what you do, what you own, what you look like, your abilities, your talents, your accomplishments, and relationships, rather than your identity comes from being a fully loved child of God through Jesus Christ. We're almost done. You might be a great if you treat people as you think they deserve to be treated or according to your approval or disapproval of them, rather than with the same love and grace that Jesus has shown you. You might be a grape if you measure God's love and goodness by your circumstances and his answers to your prayers, rather than by measuring God's love and goodness by the cross of Jesus Christ. You might be a grape if you feel like God loves you more when you attend church regularly, give generously, treat people well, and have a regular quiet time rather than realizing that in Jesus, you can never do anything to make God love you more, nor have you done anything to make him love you less. It can get pretty subtle. And we do well to let the Spirit search our hearts. I'm not talking about getting serious about your religious activity. I'm talking about getting serious about repentance and love of Jesus Christ. My son called me this week. He's about to get engaged, which is fine that I say that because his fiance doesn't listen to the podcast. But she's beautiful. We love her anyway. He asked me, Dad, how can I make sure that she is not becoming an idol to me. And I said to him, buddy, the problem is not that, the solution is not that you love Jessica less, but that you love Jesus more. And you can't gin up, you can't generate love for Christ The Bible is clear when it says it all starts with him. We love him because he first and continuously loves us. So the only ones who can ultimately love him are the ones who have opened themselves and said, yes, I'm desperate to know your great love. 
I am desperate to receive the depth of your great love. And only in that can I love you back. That's what we need to get serious about. Because religious activity that does not come from that is just another form of earning your own salvation. It doesn't mean anything to him. He wants that. And if he doesn't have that, you got a chance to change that now. No one else in this book from here on out is going to come to Jesus. You and I still can. Believers and unbelievers alike, solutions the same. Come. Come. The elders would come. Um, we're going we're gonna to stand up here. If you need prayer, we're going to be here for prayer. If you have questions answered, we're going to be here for that. We're going to stay for a little while after the service because some of you get creeped out by admitting you have need in front of everybody else. Let me be the first to tell you. I am blessed with the opportunity to be your pastor because I have more need of a savior than anybody here. I am more desperate for the rescue of Jesus Christ. I need more prayer and more intercession and more forgiveness. I say, lead us. I'm leading you to the cross because that's where I need to be. Will you follow me as I follow Christ? In repentance. I don't want anybody crushed. He doesn't either. Come home. Let's pray.